Hey, good morning, folks. Thanks for tuning in to Liberty Online and want to thank you for your continued support. I want to take a minute and just be very specific to you folks that have been paying attention here online and, and let you know that we're thankful for your support. We, uh, we realize we're in new and in challenging times and that there are things that, that are beyond our control sometimes, but this has given us an opportunity to reach out and to to maybe touch some folks in ways that we were not able to before and it encourages my heart to know that you're there and uh, that you have been tuning in and uh, we've heard good positive feedback from uh, the online experience just being able to to study the word together and we're praying for you as a group and i hope that you are praying for us here at liberty as a church meets at uh, in person um, and that you would continue to faithfully support us as well, however you see fit, this, that you would pray for us, or if you are uh, motivated to give online, there's also those links and things like that. But we're thankful for, for what we're able to do and, and your support of us. As we carry on uh, in the book study of Mark, we're going to look at the last chapter today. And you know, last week we studied that uh, Jesus had been crucified and the disciples had all fled and, and there was this, this rumbling throughout all of his followers that no one really expected this to happen, right? They, they still couldn't believe that it had happened, that, that Jesus had actually met the death that he had said was coming, that the completion of his mission was upon them and, and that we had been, remember, justified that we'd been declared righteous in the sight of God because of Jesus' sacrifice. And that's not something that we have any, any dominion over, that that is all God's gift to us, that, that we have that relationship with the Father that's been restored, and we've been reconciled to a righteous and wonderful Creator because of what Jesus did that day once and for all, right? For all of us, that one payment for sin. And, you know, the disciples and the followers of Jesus, um, they realized and they thought, I guess is a better word, they had Friday to Sunday to think about, was it over? They watched Jesus die on the cross. They heard his final words. They watched him breathe his last. They had seen his body taken down and then placed in a tomb. And they met together, I'm sure, and some of them isolated themselves, much like what we have done during these moments that some of us enjoy just being by ourselves and processing our thoughts. Others need to, to share it in groups. And I'm sure they were doing the same thing as they wondered what it was that, that was actually accomplished. You know, we have the idea the ability to look back and see all that God has done and, and to look at what has happened over the last 2,000 years to preserve the mission of Jesus and, and to, to grow it. But they were sitting on an edge where they weren't sure what was actually going on. Their leader had died and, and he had been put in a tomb and now they would have to come to grips with what was life like after that event. And so we're going to pick it up in Mark chapter 16. And I really would love you to be aware of the fact that, yes, Jesus's death was critical to what it was that, that had happened, that he had to be sacrificed bodily for our sin, remember, for the, the human condition that we possess, the sin that needed to be forgiven, 
as well as to make a way for us to get out of that human condition, for us to be, to be eternally set apart. That hadn't quite happened yet, right? He had died, that was part of it, but now he was going to have to be resurrected and conquer the penalty for sin. So sin and death were linked in the beginning. As, as the creation was designed, it was never meant to be that way. But when sin entered the world, death became linked to sin, and Jesus' death was now what was going to overcome it. He had overcome sin, become sin once and for all for us, and now he is going to rise from the dead and overcome death and take away its power, its sting, as we read in the New Testament. So if you're following along, we're going to start right at the beginning of the chapter, Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 6. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. And very early, on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. And he said, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. But he is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? This is the most remarkable piece of Jesus' mission. It is the most controversial. It is the most difficult for us to believe. We see Jesus humanly working and interacting with people just as the disciples did over a three-year period and maybe over a lifetime of, of ours. We've seen the principles, the practices of Christianity be good and beneficial in people's lives, and, and yet maybe some days you're still left wondering, is Jesus really still alive? Did he rise from the dead? And it's important that you understand how critical that is to your faith. That, yes, he paid the penalty for our sin on the cross, but his work was not finished there. He had to go into death and have victory over death so he could break the power of death in our lives and set us up for eternity. And so I thought it would be good for us as we look at some of these things just to take apart some of the arguments that have arisen over the last 2,000 years about whether or not Jesus actually rose from the dead. There are some that would say he never died in the first place, but, but even first century historians say that no one, could have, uh, no one could have lived through what Jesus lived through. The lashes that he received, the loss of blood the time on the cross, the spear in his side, all of those things indicate Jesus bodily died. His death was, was certain. It's this resurrection piece that, that people question still to this day. And so one of the questions that, that comes up a lot is when these women went out to the tomb, that maybe they went to the wrong tomb. And so 
as you look at it, there's a couple of things that you need to understand for your own benefit to believe the, the resurrection in its full capacity. Here are some of the facts, all right? So the women would have seen, first of all, this process unfold. They would have been witnesses to Jesus' death. They were there at the cross. They would have seen him wrapped. They would have seen where they took the body. All of those things they would have known personally firsthand. Secondly, the tomb that, that is accredited for Jesus' burial was attributed to G Joseph of Arimathea, and it's recorded in numerous places, and that would have been a matter of public record. There would have been a chart, you know, there would have been some documents, there would have been some things stipulating that that piece of ground, that tomb itself would have been owned by this man and would have had record that it would have been used for Jesus' death, for his burial. It would have been a very public uh, interment. You would have seen it happen and they would have seen all of these things play out in real time and take him to the tomb. So as we look at whether or not these women went to the wrong tomb, it's highly improbable that they would have gotten so flustered and so mixed up that they would have gone uh, to, to the wrong area, to the wrong tomb itself. It's just not possible that that would have happened. There would have been a public record. They would have had eyewitness accounts. And even if they would have gone and told the disciples. The disciples would have corrected that, okay? They would have said, no, ladies, remember, this is where he's buried. But none of that happens. They all end up at the same tomb looking for the same risen Savior. The other thing is there would have been this large stone, and we're not familiar with this as we deal with burials today, but, but we would have had this, there would have been this large hole hollowed out inside of a, of a face of a hillside, and a large disc rock would have been rolled by several men in place and sealed over the entrance of the tomb. They would have done this for a number of reasons, but this was the way that they did it at that time. So when the, when the women visit the right tomb, they also were right to say, man, how are we going to roll that stone away that's in place and wondering all the way there, how is this going to take place, only to be met with the fact that, hey, the stone has already been moved. We don't have to do it. What is going on? And they walk into the tomb, and this man is sitting there. He's the only one around, and that was perplexing as well because... There's documented evidence, not only inside of the biblical record, but in a historical context, that Jesus' resurrection promises were well known. They were documented that he said, on the third day, I will rise again, and we will destroy the temple, and in three days rebuild it. And all of these things that Jesus would have accredited his resurrection, he would have built up that expectation um, in the minds of the chief priests and the elders of the, of the Jewish community particularly, they wanted to make sure that Jesus lost all power when he died. And so they, they took his power bodily by crucifying him and placing him in that tomb, but they wanted to ensure that the disciples couldn't promulgate a myth. 
that they couldn't begin a, a wives' tale by stealing the body. And so the documentation is that the chief priests and the elders asked the Roman officials to provide a guard outside of that tomb. Now, there's no real evidence as to whether or not the Romans guarded the tomb or whether the chief priests in their own, who had their own uh, battalions of folks, who actually was guarding the tomb, but it's pretty well documented that there would have been soldiers guarding the entrance of that tomb. So that the right tomb, there would have been soldiers and there would have been a guard there to prevent someone stealing the body. And so when these women show up at this tomb, the stone is rolled away, remember, and they're starting to second guess themselves, like what has happened? They still didn't believe that Jesus was going to do what he said. That he was going to rise from the dead. That he was going to conquer sin and death. And, and so I know that sometimes we get caught in that same place, right? That, that we get caught in that place where, do I really believe these stories about Jesus? And these historical evidences have, have existed for 2,000 years and no one has been able to definitively prove that Jesus did not rise from the dead. In 2,000 years, they haven't been able to do it. So the wrong tomb, the temple guards, those things would tell you nobody stole the body. It was empty when the women got there at the right tomb. And then even if they ascribe to some of these wild philosophies about what happened, it doesn't doesn't change the fact that Jesus appeared to so many people after he was crucified. After he was laid in the tomb, days after that, he was appearing to people. He was talking to people. He was meeting with them. And so as we move down into verses 7 through 14, we want to move into this different arena. Once we know Jesus physically died, he was buried, they went to the right tomb, he was guarded so no one could steal the body, we move into these appearances and say, what do we do with this evidence? The women then were told in verse 7, Go, tell the disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he first appeared to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons, and she went and told those who had been with him and those who were mourning and weeping. And when they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. Afterward, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country. These returned and they reported it to the rest of the group, but they did not believe it either. Later, Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were eating, and he rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe that those who had seen him after he had risen. 
Now you need to deal with something in the middle of this passage that I want to see. So in our modern Bible, uh, the NIV version in particular, it says in the middle of this that, that some of the manuscripts do not include some of these verses from verses 9 to 20 in the very earliest manuscripts. And, and I want to just assuage some of your fear there that, that Mark took the, the words of Peter and put them down. He followed Peter around, and he wrote all of the experience. That's why he has so many stories. He, he took all of the stories and cataloged them. And if you compare them to Matthew and Luke, you'll see that the stories mesh entirely, that even these verses are included in Matthew and Luke. So even though some of the early manuscripts of Mark may not include some of these verses, it's well documented that these things happen in two other Gospels that are without a doubt. So just to lay that aside outside of your mind, first of all, Jesus told them that he would see them again, that they had to go to Galilee. He was going to go ahead of them, and he was going to see them. After he rose, conquered sin and death once and for all, he was going to be there just as he said. And the women were trembling and were bewildered, and they fled from the tomb. And they go, and they don't tell anybody on the way. And then it re tells the story a little bit that that Mary Magdalene had been set apart by Jesus. He had, she had been set free from these demons and, and that she went and told those who were mourning and weeping and they didn't believe it. They said, it says it first there of, of the disciples when they were meeting and G, Mary was telling them. And then at the second part here, when they walk in the country, these two men, the two disciples come into contact with Jesus and then they go back and they tell people and they don't believe it either until Jesus shows up with the 11 of them in a room and he says, listen, why didn't you believe what these others told you? So if you're a follower and a disciple of Jesus in the first century, you've spent years of your life with Jesus and you see him crucified, and you don't really expect him to be to rise from the dead. You're still mourning. You're still grieving, right? That's what this passage is about. You're still processing. And people begin to tell you, I've seen Jesus. I've seen him. He's alive. Your mind is going to be skeptical. And rightfully so. The, the disciples were still very skeptical. They were very unsure. They were hurting. They were processing all of the things that unfolded. Their own grief, their own fear, their own... Whatever, what word you want to use necessarily to depict the amount of, of confusion that was happening at this time. They didn't really expect or believe that Jesus was going to arise. And he appears to the 11 of them twice. Two different times he shows up and, and spends time with them. At one point in the New Testament documentation, there's 500 people estimated that he appeared to. All of those are recorded in various documentation. And yet there is no disputing them. There is firsthand account. When, it, when a 500-person group all sees something collectively, it's very difficult to denounce it as not happening. 
There was no way that they could have done that. There is no apparent rejection. There's no alternate explanations even throughout history. Some say they were so joyful that, that Jesus was uh, crucified. They made up this entire story and they hallucinated the whole thing, all 500 of them. <laughs> you tell me which is harder to believe, that 500 people actually saw something or that 500 people had the same hallucination. All of these things have been laid aside for 2,000 years that Jesus is alive, that he overcame sin and death on our behalf once and for all, that he rose from the dead to do that, and he's now seated at the right hand of God. Even in some of these stories, you see doubting Thomas appear, right? And Peter and, Peter and the rest of the disciples are there, and they're trying to say, Thomas, he's alive! And Thomas says, I'm only going to believe if I could put my finger in the nail holes. And Jesus obliges him. Jesus shows up in another account, allows Thomas to touch his side, to see where the nails pierced him, and he eats a meal with them. His resurrected body. This is a, this is a pretty cool glimpse into to what it's going to be like maybe to live with Jesus, that we're going to have this different body, but yet we're still going to have a physical existence in eternity with Jesus. And, and that's what he has secured by his death and his resurrection that we need to understand all of these things that, that cast doubt on the resurrection have been subject to their own questions. There really is no conspiracy theory that works. And you need to make up your mind that Jesus, who he said he was, is he the Lord of your life because he overcame sin and death? Or was he just crazy? And did he lead a band of crazy people into believing that he rose from the dead? If he led this band of crazy people, at least up to this point, they still could have turned away. They could have denied that he actually rose from the dead, that, you know what, I still don't believe, I'm, I'm going to back out of this one right now. But here's the, here's the universal truth the thing that is unmistakable. That as Jesus rose from the dead and he talks to his disciples here in verse 15, he gives them a simple command. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. And that's recorded in Matthew 28. It's, it's called the Great Commission. It's, it's the place where Jesus tells the disciples what to do from this point forward. Now, if you're ever in doubt about the resurrection, you ever start to doubt whether or not Jesus died and was crucified, those are historical facts that you can see even through a historical lens. A man named Jesus crucified under Pontius Pilate laid in a tomb. And then if you doubt the resurrection, I want you to think about the men and the women in that moment and what their reaction actually was to the resurrection. Yeah, they didn't believe right away. They were, they were shocked. But when Jesus gives them this command to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. There is no doubt 
that they did what he asked. That this group of 12 men, think about this. The 11 disciples, and then as they, as they went back to the perfect number that they believed Jesus had ascribed, and they brought in a 12th disciple, that these men, all of them, committed to the explosive growth that we see inside of the New Testament. To 2,000 years of growth. You need to answer the question, if you've ever been in a group of people and something has happened that you are trying to fabricate a story. And let's say there are 12 of you. What are the odds that all 12 of you is going to go to your grave keeping that secret? Humanly speaking, what are the odds that these 12 men who got this commission from Jesus to go into the world and preach the gospel, that all 12 of them, without the evidence of the resurrection, without Jesus standing in front of them and saying, go, what are the chances that all 12 of them would go do it? Because that's what happened. And for 2,000 years, we've watched their witness bear out. Not only that, but, but the 500 people that saw him, the thousands of Jews. There is a radical lifestyle change inside of the Jewish community. You need to understand that for thousands of years, the Jews lived one way, worshiping the one true God, offering sacrifices, doing the things that they needed to do to appease a God, following the high priest. And there is this radical lifestyle change among thousands of of Jews to Christianity. In this period of time, this explosive growth pivots from Judaism to Christianity. People follow him by the thousands to the point that, that Rome adopts Christianity as the common core of religion. Many in Jerusalem, the Jews that were there, that had ascribed their whole life by the way of, of Yahweh, Many of them sold all that they had. Documented proof in the book of Acts and other places, uh, all throughout history, actually, you can find that these folks sold their homes, their livelihoods, because they thought Jesus was coming back any day. They thought the imminence of his return was, hey, let's sell all we have, give it to the poor, and be ready to go with Jesus. That kind of radical lifestyle change was happening in the first century. That these 12 men, the women that had seen the empty tomb, the resurrected Jesus gives them this commission and says, go preach the gospel to all creation, and they change the world. They open up something that is so powerful for eternity. Their belief in Jesus is beyond doubt. The disciples all commit to a life of preaching the gospel. They all do. The entire world 
is changed. I've said it before, but, but even these events have altered your reality. They've changed the way we view time. We have before the Christ event and after because Jesus Christ was such a, a powerful figure inside of the historical context. And we know without a doubt that he died on a cross. And we believe that he didn't only die on that cross, but he died to secure your eternity. And that in overcoming death by resurrecting, he persuaded these 12 men to believe in him finally with all of their hearts, with all of their soul, with all of their mind, and to give their entire life. To give everything that they had to, su to support Jesus' mission. To spread the gospel. To tell people that by grace they have been saved through faith. They had the opportunity to do that. They utilized all that they had at their disposal. And they changed the world. As Jesus entered into our world as man and stepped into our human condition. And, and as he then resurrected from that tomb the right tomb, escaping the guards, showing up to, to hundreds and thousands of people. Jesus changed the world as he stepped into our entire human condition and made a way out of it for us. My challenge to you this week is, if you really believe that, you need to get alone with God. You need to spend some time thinking about in your heart what it is you truly believe about Jesus. This man that split history in time in half. These men, these disciples that went and preached the gospel that now we read about on a daily basis if, if we read our word if we spend time studying it. The radical lifestyle change that happened in the church in the first century is something that, that needs to be apparent to our world right now. That as you get alone with God and you think about what it is that he did for you, what lifestyle changes need to happen in your life? What things have you allowed to, to make you comfortable instead of service-oriented? What are you willing to change in your life? Just as these men did. They gave up everything they had. As those believers in Jerusalem sold all that they had and gave it away to the poor. What are you doing to demonstrate that you believe the resurrection of Jesus Christ to be true in your own life? How are you giving your life away just like Jesus did? I want to hear about it. If there are things that, that you're doing or things that, that you're thinking about doing, please message us through Liberty Grace. Let us know what you're doing out there, how Jesus is impacting your heart and your community and how he is going to change the lives of people as a result of his power through the resurrection.
I hope that this has encouraged your heart, that's given you some ammunition to, to fight the fight this week, to, to restore your confidence and a belief in Jesus. Thanks for reading through the book of Mark, and I pray that you continue to reread this and think more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Father, I pray that you would, that you would give us an opportunity this week to spend time with you, Lord, that you would bring to our hearts and minds your grace, that every day it's new and that we can use it. Lord, that we continue to revisit what we preach here at Liberty, that, that everything is from you and through you and to you. Every day we get to complete that cycle. And it's only because you died on our behalf once and for all and that you were resurrected and changed the lives of those folks there in that first century on our behalf so that we might hear the stories and see your word for ourselves. Father, thank you for your love for us. I pray that we do something that, that brings an awareness to people uh, in our world of your grace and your mercy this week. In Jesus' name, amen.